get started here today. Um, Andre and Cindy have asked for a chance just to uh, to say something. So, guys? Well, um, you've all been praying for Virginia. Yes. And for those that are unaware who Virginia is, she is going to be our future daughter-in-law and the bride of Nicholas. Um, she's been sick for months, I would say three months. Uh, to where she's been going in and out of the hospitals. Uh, I think she's tracked more time in the hospital than out of the hospital over the several months. Well, they think they may have figured out what is wrong. And so they're treating it and she's feeling better. She has had these times before where they removed her gallbladder and she was doing well and then it reared its ugly head again. So. We felt obligated to update you guys because you've been praying. And it's on the connection cards. It gets put out on a weekly basis. You honoring what God has called us to do produces fruit. And so she was released yesterday eating normal food, not applesauce. And she's kept it down. Um, so... We just ask for you to continue to pray in that direction for a continuous healing. Um, for those that are not aware, she becomes our daughter-in-law in a little bit over a month. So those that have walked the aisle as a bride, you know that you do not want to carry a bucket with you uh, because <laughs> you get sick. Um, there is no, um, there's no position for a bucket carrier like there is for the ring bearer and the flower girl so we don't want to create one so <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you all um, we you know they couldn't have done gone through this without all your thoughts and prayers so thank you thank you so much prayer works sure of course well Lord God we lift Virginia up to you right now even as she is at home and Father, we'd really like her to stay there. Uh, and so, Lord, just continue to work in the medicine that, is, that she's been given and, and, and heal her. Father, whether you do it supernaturally or physically, we, we, it's not ours to call. We just are thankful for your touch upon her. So just bless her, bless Nick, and bless all of the family, Lord. So we give you thanks and praise. Ask the, this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Also have uh, just a, uh, I guess a brief but joyful announcement. Um, after last week and after some discussion, uh, Chip, who is our, has been playing keyboards, has agreed or has felt like God has called him to remain here as our worship leader. And while I cannot speak wholeheartedly yet, the band is agreed to continue to hang out here too. 
So uh, we are just just very thankful. I, worship has been amazing the last two weeks, and uh, I know it'll only get better from here. Uh, and we uh, we haven't had a chance to sit down and talk yet, but we are going to be having a conversation soon about working our own folks, you know, the folks that have been on our team, uh, into this team to create a unified team. So uh, that'll happen shortly, I'm sure. All right. Well, Lord, we just thank you for, uh, for your word and for uh, this presentation of it. Father, I pray that uh, you would be in all of it. Bless it all now. Bless those who will hear and receive. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can see, the title for the message today is How to Build a Remarkable <laughs> Life. And this is the uh, kind of the fourth week of this Intentionally Great Family series. And I think it's fitting that we talk about remarkable people on Mother's Day. Because I honestly think moms are some of the most remarkable people I know. Um, many of you know this, but I lost my own mom when I was just five years old. So I really didn't grow up with an experience of what having a mom, you know, at least a mom at home all the time was like. Um, but since then, I've been really fortunate uh, to observe close up and personal, a really great mom in my wife, Sally, as uh, she took care of our kids. And uh, it has truly given me a great appreciation for what mothers do. In fact, just this morning, she, our dog injured himself somehow on uh, Friday, a big gash in his shoulder that we had to take him and get stitches. Um, but she was mo mothering him this morning <laughs> as well. So uh, it, it never stops. And then, um, you know, over this last year or so, I've had the great privilege of, of watching my own daughter be a mother to little Joanna. And, uh, you know, while I'm, I'm certainly biased, I think she's a pretty great mom. <laughs> and uh, before not too much longer, there's going to be a third mom in the family. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I really have no doubt that Jennifer is going to be just as terrific a mom as, uh, as the other two moms in the family. So um, it's going to be fun. And, and truly, I know Andre mentioned this, but we really encourage every, every woman in here to get a rose on the way out. We have plenty. And, you know, even if you don't have children of your own, you all mother someone. Right? I had, I had a whole cadre of mothers that sort of stepped into the, and filled the gap when I was growing up. Fr moms of friends of mine. It wasn't exactly the same, but they, they filled that role. And so you inevitably are doing that in somebody's life, if not for your own children. So I just really encourage you to, uh, uh, to celebrate this Mother's Day for all of the the uh, sons and daughters that you, uh, that you help take care of. So we know moms truly are remarkable people. But, you know, moms aside, there are sometimes folks that you meet and just right away you just kind of know that there's something remarkable about these people. They're special, right? It could be because of some outstanding achievement that they've accomplished. It could be... Um, because of an outstanding talent that they possess or a giftedness. Maybe it's just their outstanding personality. Um, but for whatever the reason, you just sort of know that they're remarkable. And I think 
all of us want to live remarkable lives. And God certainly wants us to live a, rem a remarkable life. And I think if you are a parent or a grandparent, you want your children or your grandchildren to, to live remarkable lives as well. Now, would you say that it's easier or harder to get people's attention these days? Well, it's harder, right? There's so much competition out there. There's just all this noise between, you know, 24-hour-a-day news and, you know, media and social media and all the kind of things like that. You know, if you owned a business right now, I think it would be very difficult to figure out, okay, how do I get my name out there? How do I get known? How do I let people know I'm there? Um, because there's all this other stuff going on all the time. Um, and, and really, I think you would probably discover that the only way that you're going to get people's attention is if the product or service or whatever it is that you offer is remarkable, right? It's better than, than everybody else's. You know, you could have two restaurants that are sort of sitting right next to each other. One of them, there's never anybody there, and they go away after a short period of time. And the other one, there's a line that goes around the building. And it's, th I can honestly tell you, there was such a restaurant when I was living in Indianapolis and working uh, for a company called American States Insurance. There was a restaurant that was right cat-a-corner to where our building was, and it was called Acapulco Joe's. All right. Now, Joe Rangel came to this country from Mexico, and he had uh, very little money. He just had enough money for a bus ticket. So he... he <laughs> This is a great story. So he goes to the bus terminal, and he asks to buy a ticket to Minneapolis. But his English is so bad, they give him a ticket to Indianapolis. And so he ends up somewhere that he wasn't ever intending to go. And he opens this restaurant, and I'm not joking, at 10.30 every day, a line would form and stretch around the building. And it would stay that way for probably two hours. That's remarkable right? Um, and so that's what draws attention, right? Whether it's remarkable food or it's some kind of a product that just sells like crazy. Some hotels, you'll notice, they always seem to be full, no trouble booking rooms. Others just are always, ha they always have vacancies. And I think the difference is remarkable service in that case. <coughs> so let's look at, I just want to look quickly at the definition for the word remarkable. Oh, you know what? I was supposed to put that up. So once again, happy Mother's Day to everybody. <laughs> All right, there we go. <clears throat> so remarkable means notably or conspicuously unusual, extraordinary, worthy of notice or attention. And I would think we would all agree that human history is written predominantly by remarkable people. Okay, could probably easily make a list of folks, whether it was in the arts or entertainment or in law and government, all of the different areas of society uh, where there are and have been remarkable people that have made a significant contribution to, uh, to our society. And as I said, I think God wants all of us to live a remarkable life. But the thing is, the only way that you're ever going to live a remarkable life is if you're willing to be different. If you want to be like everybody else, you're never going to be remarkable. It's the very definition of remarkable, right? 
notably or conspicuously unusual. It's uncommon. To be remarkable in life means like you're not like anybody else. And if you want children to be remarkable, then you have to teach them how not to care about being like everybody else. Because being like everybody else is not remarkable. It's just common, right? And I think the secret of remarkable people is that they're willing to do something that everybody else is not willing to do, okay? They're willing to develop habits that are uncommon. They're willing to put in extra hours to whatever they do to be uncommon. They're willing to make an effort that the rest of the world isn't willing to make. They're willing to pay a price in order to make a remarkable difference that most of us, most people, aren't willing to make. In the, uh, in the Harvard Business Review and also in Forbes magazine, there was a study of 1,000 like, middle-level managers. And these were all people who felt stuck in their career in some way, right? They said things like, well, I've been at this level for a long time now, and you know, I don't think I'm ever going to make any progress in my career. I don't think I'm going to get any promotions. This is just a dead-end job. Well, then they interviewed those people's bosses, right? And they discovered that 97% of those people had either one or more of what they described as career-limiting habits. And here's the thing. Even when the people knew that they had a career-limiting habit, they still wouldn't change. Even though they know that's what's keeping them from moving forward with the company, from advancing, they still wouldn't change. They wouldn't make that kind of a change so that their careers could have greater impact. Now, I want to look at today what I would call four antidotes to those kinds of career-limiting habits. Now, I, you know, the Bible is full of examples of remarkable people. I think Deborah was a remarkable person. Esther was a remarkable person. Job and Jonah and Nehemiah and on and on and on. Some of the characters in the Bible are, are very familiar. Some you, you might never hear, might not be familiar with just because they're not um, quite so well known. But that doesn't mean that they're not or they weren't remarkable in the way they live, the way they chose to live. Now one you probably have heard of was a guy whose name was Daniel. Now, Daniel was taken as a slave from Israel back to Babylon, uh, which was the nation that conquered Israel and then took all of its uh, inhabitants as slaves during the uh, Babylonian Empire. And this is what the Bible says in Daniel 6.3. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Are you kidding me? A guy who starts out as a slave and is taken hostage to a foreign country and doesn't really even want to be there, but he has so many remarkable qualities in his life that the most powerful man in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, leader of the Babylonian Empire, says this, I'm going to put that guy as my number two man. I'm going to put him in charge of the whole empire. I think most of us would like to know 
what was that excellent spirit? What were those remarkable qualities? Because I think you would agree that saying someone has an excellent spirit and they're remarkable, somewhat synonymous. So we're going to look at, there were what, four qualities that were in Daniel's life. And I, wanted, I want us to look at this from two different perspectives, okay? First of all, just from your own life. These are things that you can develop and the rest of your life can be the best of your life if you will put these things into practice and if you're willing to put in the effort. Now, I will just say this. If you're not willing to put in the effort, you probably can just go ahead and leave right now because knowing about this stuff doesn't change you. They said, as I mentioned earlier, that in a study of those managers, they knew some of the things they needed to change, but they just wouldn't do it. But if you are willing to put in that effort and to make those changes and to ask God to give you the strength to make those changes, then this message is for you. And, but then the second thing that I mentioned, because we've been in this series where we've been talking about the intentionally great family, I want us to think about how would you build these characteristics into your children or help build them into your grandchildren? You want remarkable kids. You want them to succeed in life. And I think there are certain things that if you're aware of them, you can kind of help build these things into their life so that they can, in turn, become remarkable. So we've got a lot going on here, so let's get into this. So number one, to be remarkable, I must be respectful. See, res respect is the starting point. It's the foundation of a remarkable life. When you respect others, it shows reverence for God, and that shows in the way that you relate to other people. So why do I have that as the number one quality here? Well, I think it's, well, I don't think, I know. It's because today everybody is rude. And the more rude the world gets, the more that a person who's respectful of everybody becomes remarkable, right? Unusual, uncommon. So the definition of respect or to be respectful is this, to appreciate the uniqueness because they're not like you. Um, you know, to appreciate their uniqueness, value their worth, and affirm the dignity of everyone because God made them. All right? Now notice these three qualities. To be respectful of everybody means that you appreciate their uniqueness because they're not like you. Can you appreciate people who are not like you? Can you value their worth and affirm their dignity because God made them? You see, any time that you disrespect anything that God made, you're essentially insulting God. God says, well, now wait a minute. I made them. I made you. And so you're saying that you think I love you more than I love them. You think you're more important than they are. See, that's actually quite an arrogant attitude. It's very egotistical and prideful. When we don't respect other people, we're basically saying, you know, God, you goofed up with this one. You made a mistake, and, and you should have made everybody like me, because I am certainly the standard of perfection. 
yeah, well, no, you're me or you, we're not the standard of perfection because we're all broken. We've talked about this before. We're all a mess. Some just more so than others. But anytime that I'm rude to you or anybody is rude to you or anytime you're rude to anybody else, you're revealing your ego. You think that in that moment that you don't need to be respectful. You think if the clerk that's waiting on me is a jerk, well, then I don't have to be respectful to them. Now, I'm not saying you have to approve everything. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. But regardless of what we do, God accepts us. He loves us. He values us, and he says that we have dignity even though we're flawed and we're sinful and we're broken. And so God looks to bless the people who are respectful. So I would say if you want God's blessings on your business or on your career or on your family, on your friendships, on your relationships, whatever it is that you want God to, bl to bless, then you need to start being respectful in every area of your life. There are so many promises that are given in Scripture that say something like this, that when you build in this quality of respectfulness, that you will be blessed. Here's one. This is Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Study after study have shown that employees who are disrespectful get stuck. They don't keep w progressing in their career because who wants to work with someone who's not respectful? God doesn't really leave a whole lot of wiggle room about this one. Scripture tells us that there are specific groups of people that you must show respect to if you want God's blessing on your life and on your career. Now, I've chosen 10 different categories. There are others, but I think these 10 are important. Um, there are scriptures associated with each one of these. You can either get, if you didn't get a handout, you can grab one, or if you use our app, it's listed on our app, uh, Harmony Vineyard Church. So here's the first one. I must show respect for God's name and word. See, if you want to be considered respectful, you can't be using God's name as a cuss word or as an additive, just like, oh God, no. Don't use God's name as an exclamation point. This includes OMG. Right? You take his word and you take his name seriously. All right? Number two, I must show respect to my parents. In the Ten Commandments, clearly one of the commandments is to honor your father and mother. But it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that actually is, has a promise that's associated with it. And it says, if you read Ephesians 6, 2, and 3, that if you honor your father and mother, you will have a long life full of blessing. All right? Category number three, I must show respect to my spouse. If you're married, then God expects you to respect your husband or your wife. And just as a by the way, guys, did you know that if you don't respect your wife, the Bible says that God will not hear your prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7 and 8 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and here's the uh, payoff, 
so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, ladies, before you get cocky, <laughs> I have a verse for you too. Ephesians 5.33 says this, and it starts with the guys again. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right? Category four. I must show respect to pastors and other church members. Bible's very clear on this. We're to treat each other as brothers and sisters. Now, do brothers and sisters fight occasionally? Yeah. But they don't walk out and leave the family when that happens. And so we're supposed to outdo each other in showing respect to one another. So we respect one another in the family of God. Category five. This one is becoming more important to me each, with each passing day. I must show respect to older people. You've heard the phrase that you must respect your elders. Well, you know where it came from? It's in the Bible, right? So God says that if you want his blessing, you have to respect the elderly. Anyone, any one of you that tries to call me elderly, <laughs> you will get the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> Number six, I must show respect to unbelievers. What? See, it doesn't matter if they're an atheist or an agnostic or some other religion or no religion at all or secularist or whatever. The Bible says that God expects me to show respect to unbelievers. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Category 7, I must show respect to the poor. Scripture says that if you are unkind to the poor, you insult your Creator. But if you're kind to them, then you show respect to God and you show respect to them as well. Somebody may not have as much money as you, but you don't get any leeway in disrespecting them just because they can't afford what you can afford. Right? You have to respect the four. Category eight, I must show respect to immigrants. Now this is sort of a hot button issue right now, uh, particularly in this country. But Perhaps this verse will help. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All right, now. Please note, this does not say anything about whether a wall is good or whether it's bad or immigration policy or anything like that. It just says that we are supposed to respect people that are not native to our land. All right? Category nine, I must show respect to my enemies. This is one of those that you wish you could, you know, we're kind of like Thomas Jefferson and you could just edit scripture. Yeah, I don't really like that, so I'm going to take that out. This means that people who attack you or maybe persecute you or maybe try to put you down or even plan for your defeat, you have to respect them. 
it's easy to respect people that you like or that who respect you, but it's hard to show respect to people that are different from you, who have a different viewpoint or a different religious persuasion. Can you show respect to somebody who violently disagrees with you? That's the mark of a true Christian. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 44 through 47. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray, not just respect, but pray. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. How do you be a remarkable person when somebody is attacking you? You give nothing but love back. When they're disrespectful to you, you are respectful to them. This was a hallmark of Dr. Martin Luther King's ministry and time on this earth. Even in the midst of uh, egregious insults and other types of persecutions, he was never anything but respectful and showed love to those uh, who were uh, declared to be his enemies. All right, this one's going to be popular too. I must show respect to government leaders. Oh, really? Even the ones from the opposing party? Yeah. The Bible tells us over and over and over that we are to respect the position even when people are not doing respectful things. All right? So hopefully that all makes sense. And so if it does or doesn't, we can talk later. But let's go on to the second one. So the second R uh, is that... To be remarkable, I must be reliable. Because if you're not reliable, nobody's going to trust you. And if nobody trusts you, you can't do business with them, you can't lead them, you can't have any impact on their life. Now, in the Bible, you really won't find the word reliable because that's really a fairly modern term. But the concept is all through Scripture, and it's called being trustworthy. Trustworthy is really the same thing as being reliable. It's being worthy of trust. And another word that you would find that would sort of be synonymous is faithful. Right? The Bible talks about being a faithful friend, being a faithful spouse, being a faithful leader, being faithful to God, being faithful to your church, your family, your friends, and so on. And the Bible says that those people who are reliable are very rare. Those people are remarkable because most people are not reliable. So let's look at a definition real quick. To be reliable means someone that may be relied on or trusted. Dependable in achievement, accuracy, honesty, etc. Bible says this in Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find in other words, it's rare. It's remarkable that when you find somebody that you can totally trust. 
So how do you grow in this category? How do you develop a reputation for being a reliable person? Well, there's lots of ways, but I think there's several from Scripture that are fairly easy to point out. First of all, always tell the truth. See, if you don't always tell the truth, then you're not always reliable. If you're honest, 80% of the time, is that reliable? Well, no, because if you do the math, that means there's 73 days out of each year that you're being dishonest. <laughs> so it's either all or nothing, right? And reliability means that I'm always telling the truth. Number two, you always do what you promise. That shows reliability to a boss or to an employee or to a supervisor. Proverbs 25, 14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Psalm 15, verse 4 says this in answer to the question of who shall dwell on God's holy hill. It's those who, quote, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, meaning that he keeps his word when it means personal loss and pain. Have you ever made a commitment and then something else that's kind of better comes along? And so then you start thinking or maybe even you say, you know, I want to get out of this because this commitment is actually a, a better thing to do. It's more fun or you'll make more money, it's more relaxing or whatever. Well, the Bible says that you keep your promises even when it hurts. In other words, when it's to your detriment. That's reliability. And that's so rare that it's remarkable because most people are not that kind of reliable. You always tell the truth. You always do what you promise. And third, you always keep a confidence. See, gossip was one of the ten career-limiting problems that people have in that uh, study about employers and employees. Gossip keeps a lot of people from being promoted in life because they can't keep a secret. They've got to share it with somebody else. Reliable people know how to keep their mouth shut. They know how to keep confidential information confidential. If somebody tells you a secret, can you be counted on not to tell anybody else? It's actually pretty rare. Proverbs 11.13 says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You'll never be considered reliable if you can't keep a secret. All right, on to number three. To be remarkable, I must also be resourceful. What, what are resourceful people? Well, they're people who figure out the solutions to problems. They're resourceful in that they look for some other solution, some way to create a solution. They figure out how to solve a problem. Definition would look like this. Being resourceful is being able to deal skillfully and promptly with new situations and difficulties. See, you need resourcefulness in your finances because you're never going to have unlimited finances. You need resourcefulness in your time because you're never going to have unlimited time. You need resourcefulness in your job, in your relationships, in your health, in a whole lot of different things, because we live in a broken and imperfect world. 
you're never going to have the perfect circumstances for everything. That's why you need to learn to be resourceful. And I think one of the great examples of resourcefulness in Scripture is the Apostle Paul. In Philippians, he said this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What's he really saying here? He's saying he's learned how to be resourceful, right? And when people are resourceful, they don't have to have everything just right in order to get ahead, right? They're the people who actually can make an impact and change the world. They're the ones who live remarkable lives. And then finally, number four, to be remarkable, I must be resilient. That means that you don't give up. If you stumble or you make a mistake, you get up, you dust yourself off, and you move ahead. You're resilient. You bounce back. You don't fall apart. See, I think, unfortunately, we live in a nation today that's filled with an awful lot of people who have no idea how to be resilient. If something goes wrong, then they just give up. Their motto is something like, if at first you don't succeed, well, just don't try again. It's give up and expect the government or somebody else to do it for you or to take care of it. See, when you have this kind of resilience, you don't label yourself as a victim. You have the same problems everybody else does, but you choose to keep going. You choose to keep moving ahead. Here's a definition for you. To be resilient is springing back, rebounding, recovering readily from illness, depression, adversity, or the like, buoyant, which means it floats. can't push it underneath. It's like those things you play with in the pool. You try to push them down, they pop right back up. That's resilient. I think this is probably one of the most important skills. If you can do this, and as well as the other three, then I doubt you're ever going to have a problem getting a job because employers love to find folks like this. Proverbs 24:16 says this, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. See, what I love about that is it says that even righteous people mess up. Even righteous people make bad decisions and mistakes. You don't, the secret is you don't ever call it a failure. You call it an experiment because that's how you learn what does and what doesn't work. See, and I love this. Thomas Edison tried, I don't even know how many metals before he finally decided and figured out that tungsten was the most effective metal to use in an incandescent light bulb. And in his most famous quote is this, I did not fail. I found 10,000 ways that won't work. (laughs) And see, that's one of the things I love about our church here. Because I want us to be known that we're not afraid to fail. 
Be, because if we're not failing, we're not really trying anything new. That's why I, I'm constantly encouraging people to step out and, and into their, their giftings uh, and whatever God has, has given you or blessed you with. It's okay to try something and not get it right. So as your pastor, I'm telling you right now, go out and fail this week. <laughs> Make it a big one. It won't hurt, but it's how you learn to be a success. See, life is tough. Everything's broken. Nothing is perfect, but God is good. Amen. And life can be good even in a broken world. Ultimately, we're, we're going to go to a place where it's good all the time. Right now, though, this isn't it. <laughs> and here we have lymphoma, and here we have abuse, and here we have a lot of war, and a lot of other things. But life can still be good in the middle of the bad. And the choice is that we learn to be resilient. Uh, let's look at another example from Paul again. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, where he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That is resilience. And as I said, this is a very much needed quality because we all give up too soon. And all four of these qualities are the same qualities that, that exemplify Jesus' life. And the more that you build these qualities into your life, the more Christ-like you're going to become. If you'll be honest to God about it, and honest to yourself, and honest to other people, then God is going to use it. And your greatest ministry is often going to come out of your biggest failure or your deepest pain or your worst regret. And the stuff that you don't even want to talk about, that you're embarrassed about, somebody out there needs to hear it because they're going through the very same thing right now. And they need to know that you came through and came out the other side. Who could better help somebody who's struggling with being abused than someone who has abused themselves? Who could better help somebody who's struggling with prejudice, prejudice and bigotry and racism than someone who's felt the sting of prejudice and bigotry and racism? Who could better help somebody who struggled with alcoholism or alcoholic parents than someone who went through that very same situation? See, God doesn't want to waste anything in your life. All of these things are what makes a person remarkable. Learning to be resourceful and reliable and respectful and resilient. And they're rare because everybody has those other things, those self-defeating limitations that keep you from moving forward in your life. So let's bow our heads. And see, the, these all come from Jesus. And if you get Jesus in your life, then you're going to get all of the power that you need. But you have some choices to make. 
Because you can listen to everything that I said today and not do anything. You can go home and not do anything. Just turn on the TV, forget everything I said. But if you say, you know, I really want to be a remarkable person, that I want to be different, that I want the rest of my life to be different, well, okay, then let's make a choice right now in this moment. So just follow along with me in this prayer. Just say it in your minds and your hearts. Dear God, I want to stop blaming other people for my problems. I want to stop making excuses for my problems. I want to learn to be responsible and I want to learn to be reliable. And I want to speak the truth and do what I say I'll do and learn to keep confidences. And I want to learn to be respectful for everybody even when they disrespect me. Father God, I want to learn to be like Jesus, to respect people and their dignity even when I disagree with them. To be resourceful and to learn how to solve problems. To not wait for other people to solve them. To not wait for the government or for anybody else, but to use the brain that you gave me. Help me not to be just resourceful and respectful, but to be resilient and reliable as well. God, you know the stuff that gets me down. You know how many times I've wanted to give up. You know how many times I just wanted to throw in the towel. And so I'm asking for your help right now. Help me to remember, because we know that you work all things for good, and because we know that you will never stop loving us, because we know that you use even the bad stuff in good ways in our life. I want to be one of those righteous people that when I fall seven times, I get right back up. And starting this week, I want the rest of my life to be different. I want this day today to be a turning point. And if you've never opened your life to Jesus, then say something like this. Jesus, I, I want to get to know you. I don't understand all of it, but I want to get to know you. I want to learn to trust you. I'm going to ask you to fill my life with faith instead of fear and with love instead of insecurity and with purpose and meaning. And I want to know your plan for my life. And I don't want to start this journey by just saying to you, yes, Jesus. I want to accept what you did for me on the cross. And I want to start growing. And I want to live a remarkable life. And I humbly ask this in your name. Amen. going to move into our, our ministry time now. I just want to encourage you, if you need prayer for something, I'll ask some folks who uh, have been cleared to pray to come up and just make yourselves available for prayer. There's something that's going on in your life and you need prayer. I, we, want, we want to pray for you. And so if you want to stick around through this part of our service, we strongly encourage you to do that. But if you need to go or, or just have other things that you want to do, I understand that it's Mother's Day and, and many people have lunch commitments and things like that. 
So if you need to go, that's fine. We love you and uh, hope that we'll see you all again next week. So let me just pray a quick blessing on us and uh, we'll move on. So Father, I just thank you for these people that are here today. Once again, I just bless all of the moms, whether they're moms biologically or just moms because of situations in their lives. I thank you for the service that each one of them renders to the people that they care for. And I pray that they will celebrate that on this day as well as as the moms who have children of their own. Bless each person here, Father, with the desire to become more Christ-like. We just give you praise and thanks and honor and glory, Lord God, acknowledging you in all things. Bless us until we have the chance to be together again. Go before us into our week. Create opportunities for us to bless others. We love you, we serve you, and we honor you. And I lift this prayer now in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.